0: I've prepared us a little with the children's talk this morning about weddings, Um, but imagine this, if you will, not the preparation for a wedding, uh, but the end, the end of a wedding. The bride and groom, they've said their vows, the minister has stood there and declared them to be husband and wife and given permission for the groom to kiss his bride, his now wife, and they kiss and everyone applauds, then they have to duck away and sign the official documents, and finally, the couple are presented to the whole congregation as Mr. and Mrs. whatever. Great time, isn't it? And the band cranks up the volume, send off the, the new couple uh, to the song of their choosing. Imagine you know, if at that point the fellow, the groom, stood up, arms in the air and stood in front of his wife and declared, look, I've done it, look at me, and walk down the aisle to receive all the hugs and kisses of all the friends and family only to leave his wife still at the altar, getting all the glory and the love for himself and forgetting about her. Not what you'd expect, is it? Not what you would want if you were the bride or maybe the father of that bride. I reckon if a fellow did that to one of my daughters, I'd step in front of him on his way down the aisle and say, hey, haven't you forgotten something? (laughs) And that would be if I was being in a polite mood. I reckon most people in the congregation, father and the bride or not, might do something like that. And then they'd probably keep an eye on him and on their marriage for the rest of their days. And yet, perhaps, or maybe not perhaps, sadly, how many of us fellows, maybe not on our wedding day, but have done something like that in the days after? No longer nourishing and cherishing our brides and giving up our lives for them but seeking the glory and love just for ourselves, I know I've been guilty of that. But I want to encourage us this morning. Friends, Christ will not do that to his bride. He will not leave us on our own and forsake us. When Christ, who is our life, appears, We too will appear with him in glory. For all who are in Christ by grace through faith, he has never left us and he never will. Right up to the last day into the eternities. I want us to hear afresh this morning and I want us to bask really in the love and the glory of Christ and the beauty of his holiness and glory. As our true husband. And I want us to recognize that as he is presented in all his glory and holiness, that as that day takes place, he will not ignore us. He actually takes us and gathers us by his side, such that when he appears in all his glory on that great day, at that great wedding banquet as we read of in the book of Revelation. When he appears, when Christ, who is your life, appears, we too will appear with him in glory. He keeps us by his side at every point. He will delight in us on that day and we will delight in him. And any glory that is rightfully his, it's all rightfully his, isn't it? He receives all glory and praise and honour. But all of that, do you know what? He shares with us, his bride. And by sharing that, it's not as if he gives out a little bit here and a little bit there and he's only got a little bit left himself. No, actually in sharing with us in that glory, it's actually all the more to his glory. It magnifies his glory that he would have us stand there with him in glory. Our glory, whatever glory we have that we've only ever received from him in the first place, any glory of ours will actually be all the more to his glory. It's worth noting in this verse in Colossians, if you've got your scriptures there, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Colossians 3. Paul doesn't say here in Colossians 3, it's when Christ comes or when he arrives, it's actually when he appears. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Meaning that for the time being, we cannot see him, at least not in the way that we will on that day, not in his resurrected and glorified state. For the time being, he is hidden. He's hidden, but he's not absent. He told his disciples before he died and was raised and ascended that he was leaving. He was going to the Father to prepare a place. He was going away, but that by the Spirit whom he would send, he would come to them and make his home with them. hasn't left them on their own. He in the Father and they in him and he in them. In a little while, Jesus said, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I love you. And I will manifest myself to you, yes, appearing in his resurrected self, but then also coming to them in the presence of the Spirit and the abiding word. He remains with us and dwells with us. And on that day when we will see him face to face, when he appears in all his glory, we will appear with him too in glory. Because, verse 4, he is our life. When he who is your life appears. Talk about that in a moment. And because, verse 3, our life is hidden with him. See, it's not just Christ who's hidden. Our true selves in Christ is also hidden from us by sight. But when he appears, when we see him, we will appear with him in glory. Or as John puts in his first letter, what we will be has not yet appeared, it's still hidden, what we will be hasn't appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We'll see him in his glory, his resurrected glory, right hand of the Father, far above all rule and power and authority, And we'll actually see who we are, who He has made us and redeemed us and glorified us to be in Him on that day. As I said, it's not only Christ who is hidden from our sight in these days between His appearings. We too, our true selves, are hidden with Christ in God. We are so united, we're so hidden with Him that until Christ is revealed, we won't see our true selves. But when he does appear, we will appear with him in glory. Because Paul's telling us here in Colossians 3, for everyone who has faith in Christ, you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You might think you and your life is all that takes place around you on your day. You get up in the morning, you feed the kids and the dog and you get up and you come to church or go to work. And that is your life. But that's only the seen part of your life and who you are. There is a hidden part of who you are. I was um, at a music evening on Thursday night with a school and a student who I teach saxophone was there and halfway through he said, you got any hints for what to do with nerves? He's a really good saxophonist, really good musician, very natural. People look up and stop and take notice when he plays and he got really really nervous so much so that he not just butterflies he actually feels almost nauseous when he's about to play and i tried to give him what i normally tell anyone who's about to perform i said don't let them threaten you you're actually giving them a gift when you're performing you're giving them a gift of the music that you've been given and that sort of yeah sort of yeah, yeah yeah i get that but he wasn't convinced and so i i asked him well who are you and he looked at me a bit funny who are you and he gave me his name I said what else I played the saxophone I said yep what else you're a student yep music captain next year yep you're a son you're a mum yeah got parents yep I'm a son and you're a Christian yeah so you're loved by God and you love loved yeah and I said how much of that is going to change if you get up there in the second half and make a mistake and for him it was like a wow moment the penny dropped. You can actually see it. He actually smiled. Just said, wow, that's right. Who I am is not about everything that I see and do and feel. There's actually something hidden. There's something deeper than all this stuff. And that doesn't change because our life is hidden with Christ in God. There's so much of what we do and what we see in this life, we're told the seen, the seen things, that they're, they're transient. They're going to pass away. The things which remain, they're the things of faith and hope and love. The things that are unseen, Paul tells us, are eternal. Now that doesn't mean what we do do in this life is all meaningless. As we'll see in a moment, there's great purpose. But it does mean there's more to this life and to who we are ourselves than meets the eye, than what we see. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. And a bit like a wedding giving us a glimpse of that glorious wedding day with Christ. Sometimes the Father gives us a glimpse of who we really are in Christ. And it's one of those wow moments, isn't it, when the penny drops. And there's just such confidence and security and joy in that. It's actually one of the reasons I think we as Christians, when we lose a loved one, one who knows the Lord, As Paul tells us, we need not grieve as others do without hope. Not just because they're going to a better place, as we might put it. It is right that we grieve in our loss and our sadness, of one we love. But we grieve not without hope because at the resurrection to come, when Christ appears, we will all be caught up together with him in glory. That's the hope we have in Christ. So that Paul teaches us in one Thessalonians four, we will always be with the Lord. That's why we need not grieve without hope. I've used this illustration before, I'm sure, but you know how at the end of a, a theatre show, a musical, if you've gone and seen Mary Poppins or something, and all the actors at the end, the, the curtain call comes, and they all take their bows one at a time. It's the chorus first, and the sort of secondary actors, and then finally the lead actors come, and they take their bow on their own under the spotlight. But what do they do at the very end? They extend their arms and all the chorus line and every actor comes forward and they give their applause to the people doing the likeness and they all receive the glory, the applause for what's been happening. I think that's a bit like what it's going to be on the day of Christ. The spotlight's going to be on him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he is Lord. He's receiving all glory and praise and honour. And as he stands there receiving all of that, he will say, behold, look at me. But he doesn't finish there. Read Hebrews. Behold, look at me and the children God has given me. And that will be to his glory that all of us are with him. Sinners saved by grace. Washed clean in his blood with a word. When he appears, we also will appear with him in glory because at the moment our lives are hidden with him in God. And this hiddenness, our being hidden with Christ, it not only means that we're unseen or in a secret place, it actually means we're in a safe and secure place. Not just that we're unseen but we are secure. We are safe, protected, concealed under the cover of God's tent, as we heard from Psalm 27. It gives us a wonderful picture of what it means to be hidden with God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Of all the things I can see, all the threats against me. But the Lord is my light, my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Even though an army can encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. I can see the threat, I can see the danger. But there's something unseen that I know is even more true and more real than that. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. See what I mean about us being hidden with Christ in God? Actually being a place of security, of confidence, even against all the things that we might see are against us. Even when it feels like we are in trouble, where they're left on our own, that no one cares, no one understands, when we feel lost, when we feel lonely, misunderstood, weak and vulnerable to all manner of threats, and we know our fragility struggling with temptations and trials. The Lord is our light and our salvation. Who shall we fear? David knew what it was like to be alone, didn't he? He knew what it was like to be threatened by his enemies, powerful enemies like the king, King Saul. He knew what it was to be the target of people's hatred and threats, like spears being thrown at him. He knew what it was to see kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, the trouble within nations, tribes. But in all of that, he knew the promises of God and he trusted him. And therefore, he's confident, not in himself, but in the steadfast love and covenant faithfulness of God, his life being hidden concealed and protected even though whole armies encamp against him he's confident confident in his faith in the faithfulness of god i believe he says that i shall look upon the goodness of the lord in the land of the living what a wonderful confidence to have whatever happens Whatever takes place, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Sounds a bit to me like when he appears, we will appear with him in glory in the land of the living. And so David concludes that psalm, as we heard, so wait for the Lord with our confidence, knowing that we're hidden and protected in Christ, in God. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. And so it's worth asking ourselves this morning, is that what we know? Not just the theory of it, not just the verses, but is that what we believe in our heart, that we too, confident that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? That when he appears, we will appear with him in glory. And if so, hear David's words. Be strong. Take courage today because of that confidence we have for that day. Whether you're feeling weak and the fragility of your age today or whether you're fighting the good fight in great strength or not, take courage and wait for the Lord. Which waiting means not taking certain things into our own hands, doesn't it? Actually waiting for the Lord to do his work in us and for us. But still taking courage and being active in our faith. And we can only do that, be strong and take courage and wait because of where we are and who we are. You are hidden with Christ in God. Your old self has died been crucified with christ there's a new self which is secure and safe and kept with christ in god it's actually where you've been ever since you believed in fact ever since before the foundation of the world you've been chosen in him and he's been with us and kept us all the way through until His appearing and on that day when we see him face to face and forevermore hidden in the shelter of God, concealed under the cover of his tent, David says in that psalm. His temple, the tabernacle, he's used just about every phrase he can think of for the dwelling place of the Lord. temple hasn't even been built in David's time. But why why is it the one thing he asks that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, that I might gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire of him there? Because the temple's got strong walls, the tabernacle with its flappy tents, tent flaps, they're going to look after him, protect him. No, it's because that's where the Lord is. That's where the Lord's name is. That's where forgiveness is found. And it's where the Lord's people come and gather to be together. It's his one desire. What does Paul tell us in Colossians? Since you've been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. It's exactly what David's saying in the psalm. One thing I ask that I will seek after. (laughs) The Lord says, seek my face. Paul's saying the same thing. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. You know, we talk about the church rightly so as being the people of God, not the building, not the structure, and that's very right. But today, particularly post-COVID, number of churches really battling people just staying at home, having their hot chocolates and nug boots. Getting a bit warm for that now, isn't it? With all the technology we have at our hands, we can listen to millions of sermons. We can listen to a myriad of songs, worship on our own, can't we? But there's nothing like coming together and dwelling in the house of the Lord, that is, with the people of God gathering together in the name of the Lord. And I mean no offence to anyone watching this online now or later because I hope and pray and I think I know that your heart too is to be together in Christ. Because we need one another, don't we? To be encouraged in these things, to remind, because so often the things that we see threaten us, and hem in on us, and squash us, and diminish our faith, and our hope, and our courage. And yet I get the wonderful privilege of standing up here and seeing you all. And you know what Paul sees when he looks out at the church earlier in Colossians? He sees Christ in you, the hope of glory. He sees that in the church. Christ in you, plural, the hope of glory. Is that what you see when you look, look around each other? Do it. I mean it. It's good to do. We're not just here, you and me, having a one-on-one chat, you know, a hundred of them all at once. No, it's together. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And you too, on screen. This is where God has promised to be, isn't it, when we gather in his name. And he's promised by the Spirit that he, Father, Son and Spirit, would dwell with us. We are the temple. Yes, the Lord is our shepherd and in him we need nothing else. I shall not want. But even as creator of the very good creation, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And as our shepherd, when he goes out and gets the one lost sheep, what does he do? Put all the 99 in their own little single pens and rings the other one No, he puts them back in the fold among the flock because we need one another. Now, perhaps that's a bit of a tangent, but I don't know if it is. Most of the New Testament, when we hear Paul and others writing to us, it's to us as the church, not us individually. When he appears, you all, we all will appear with him in glory together, the body, the bride of Christ. And you see that confidence that we have and we need to encourage one another in this sure hope that we have in Christ, that we will appear with him in glory. That's what keeps us today, isn't it? When everything else seems hopeless, when everything else seems too hard, or even when we have something to celebrate and give joy, give, uh, rejoice in, to actually give thanks to God and share it with one another and rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. On Wednesday night, some of us have been going through Paul's letter to the Philippians, a letter of great joy. But together with that joy, and I think the the reason for that joy is this confidence that Paul has from the beginning all the way through this thread, that what God has begun in you, he will bring to completion. Yes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that as you do that, as you work out of your salvation and all the grace of God, it is God who works in you both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Friends, we are secure in Christ, hidden, not seen, but secure. Our lives are so inextricably bound up in him. As we read elsewhere, we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ who is your life when he appears. The life I now live, Paul says, it's not me, the life I live in the flesh, it's Christ who lives in me. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Friends, we've died with Christ. He was buried and we were buried with him in our baptism. God raised him from the dead and we've been raised in him to newness of life and he'll raise us up on that last day and we will appear with him in glory. Jesus himself said, he was praying, speaking to the Father about everyone who's going to believe in him from that day onwards. That the glory that the Father had given to him, I give to them. That they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me. That they may be perfectly one. I can see why marriage is such a... Wonderful glimpse, isn't it? Not just a metaphor, it's a glimpse into the very communion we have with Christ. As much as the Father and the Son are one, that he would draw us up into that communion. That's what we see when we look at the church. Oneness in Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Can you remember how this series began? I had a letter, an uh, email from someone just received this morning, someone who's been listening to this series from afar and how good it was to hear Psalm 8 and follow the series through. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The beginning of that psalm and at the very end of that psalm begins with his glory and majesty and everything is to and for his glory and majesty and praise isn't that the whole purpose of god from the very beginning that the whole earth would be filled with the glory of god and to do that what does god fill it with just bright light no he fills it with sinners saved by grace Sinners who have been saved by his son who gave his life up for us. That we together might be to the praise of his glory and grace. The whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. With the knowledge of God is another phrase, isn't it? You know, the new covenant promise, they will all know me. How's the knowledge of God made known throughout the nations? Because I will forgive their iniquities and remember their sins no more. The glory of God fills the earth with all the glory and wonder of God but together with us as his children. Sons and daughters who reign with him in right dominion and glory just as Adam was meant to Be fill the earth, multiply and subdue it have dominion over it. What Adam failed to do, the first Adam, Christ has come and he's fulfilled perfectly. And so we today, hidden with Christ in God, wait for the Lord and for his appearing, knowing that when he appears, we will appear with him in glory. Now, we could finish there, but we're not going to. One last point, because it's worth asking that wonderful question and appropriate, I think, so often, well, so what? Particularly when we're thinking about things that are beyond us, things of hope, things of the future. If we're going to appear with him in glory on that day, that's great, but what about now? We've already actually mentioned a little bit. David says, "'Because I have confidence that I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living,' then be strong, take courage, and wait for the Lord. In his great chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul reminds us that this flesh and blood, these bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But at the resurrection, when Christ appears, this perishable body will be raised and will put on the imperishable. This mortal body will put on immortality. And he goes on, almost taunting death, to say death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Where is your sting? And then he goes on to say at the end of all this wonderful stuff about the resurrection, Christ has been raised, we'll be raised with him. We'll, therefore, at the very end of that chapter, therefore, that's the so what, the answer to the so what question. Because of all of this, be steadfast, immovable, Bit like David, isn't it? Be strong. Take courage. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because of this great hope and sureness we have in Christ, always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. I think we need to hear that today friends, your labour in the Lord is not in vain. It's not a waste of time. There's so much we do or could do in this life, under the sun, as Ecclesiastes tells us, that is in vain, meaningless. It's here one minute and gone, like the mist in the morning. That is, if we don't seek the things that are above where Christ is, if we don't live in faith and hope and love, if we only live on the horizontal and suppress the truth of God, then it will be in vain. But friends, our labour in the Lord, knowing that we are his, knowing that our life is hidden with Christ in God and living by faith in that truth, we can be sure that our labour, our work, it involves some effort, but our labour in the Lord is not in vain. What is that labour? Well, Colossians 3 goes on to tell us, put to death the misdeeds of the body. All that struggle and wrestle against sin and trial and temptation, that's not in vain. It's not wasted. You're not going to miss out. All the obedience of faith that we exercise and wrestle with, with the flesh and the spirit, it's not in vain. All the perseverance and endurance that we're given in suffering and trials, is not in vain. God's doing something. Its purpose has purpose. It will be for our benefit and for the glory of God. Young people, if you're listening, the road ahead of you may not be easy. You might be cruising through at the moment, but it won't always be like that. You'll struggle with the things of the world, the things on your screens and what your friends are doing. But as you, I hope, trust God and try to live according to his word and his will, that won't be in vain. It'll have purpose. It'll have meaning. It'll bear fruit. Older folk among us, look back over the road you've travelled. You might have fond memories and pictures to look at. You might have some regrets as well, things you wish didn't happen. we will see them worked out in Christ. And see that even in that he was working good things and none of it is wasted. Your labour in the Lord is not in vain. And you know what? All our labour in the Lord is him willing and working in us for his good pleasure. And so all of us can actually look to the days to come, whether it's today, tomorrow, whether we're as energetic as we used to be or not, We keep on walking in faith, don't we? Even if we need a little walking frame to help us. In fact, none of us can walk in faith unsupported, can we? But we can walk in faith with a confidence that we will taste and see the goodness of the Lord in the day of the living, land of the living. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we are to do all things to the glory of God not only on a Sunday morning when you come to church, but at work, at home, out having fun, seek the things that are above. Know that there are unseen things always at work as God is at work in us. And we too, like David, can be confident and sure, like Paul, and I hope like us. John says back in his letter, we will have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming, at his appearing. When he appears, we too will appear with him in glory. And so in faith, we can wait for the Lord. We can be strong. Our hearts can take courage. We can know that both our waiting and our working In those things, our labour in the Lord is not in vain. None of it is wasted. It all bears fruit. And it all is to his glory. Let's pray. Gracious Father, together with your Son and your Spirit, three in one, in glorious, mysterious union that you've actually caught us up and drawn us up into that same union. Father, would you help us to wait in the Lord? Strengthen us to do your will. Grant to us the courage and the hope and the confidence that we need this day and every day as we wait for that glorious day when Christ appears in all his glory and as he draws us to himself on that day that we too might appear with him also in glory. One of our songs says, what a day that will be. And, Fathers, we look forward to that day. Grant to us all that we need for this day and every day in between, that we would seek the things of Christ and do everything to his name and to his glory. Amen.